This is Upstate's HealthLink on air, Linda Cohen along with you. Well, our wrists, hands, and fingers are intricate collections of muscles and joints that we put to use in hundreds of ways every day. But we often never fully realize or appreciate how much we use them until we've suffered an injury or a painful condition in that area. Here to discuss the most common injuries to our upper extremities and how to treat them is Dr. Joshua Pletka, Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Upstate Medical University and Chief of Orthopedics at Upstate's Community Campus. He specializes in hand and upper extremity injuries. Welcome, Dr. Pletka. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So let's start by just helping us understand a little bit more. When we say upper extremities, to you as a physician, as an orthopedist, what do you mean? Well, usually upper extremity denotes problems that occur from the fingertips all the way up to the shoulder. That includes the collarbone and the shoulder blade bone called the scapula. Okay, that's pretty clear. So basically, within that world, let's. I thought we'd go through some of the common injuries that injuries and or conditions that you might see. So I thought I'd start with, to me, what seems the most obvious, and that is some kind of a traumatic injury like a fracture. Absolutely. So a fracture, which is a medical term, is commonly known as a break or a broken bone. And so right now with the snow and the ice and the slush outside, a lot of people are slipping and falling. There are car accidents that are occurring, uh, people using snowblowers and snowmobiles. And as a result of these activities, they frequently suffer traumatic injuries that result in a broken bone. And so a fracture is a break of one of the bones between, uh, of any part of the body, but with regards to the upper extremity, from the fingertips all the way up to the shoulder. And those, and we'll talk a little bit about treatment and what that all means, but obviously that seems like, to me, one of the more obvious things that occurs in that part of the body. It is a very common injury. How about things like dislocations of the joints? Is that something you see? Is that part of your... Yes, so dislocations of the joints, which are the interconnections between the bones, uh, like the elbow or the wrist or the parts of the fingers that bend, those occur much more commonly as a result of sports injuries, playing basketball, um, and uh, while we treat those, they are not as frequent as fractures because a lot of force needs to be applied to get a bone to dislocate rather than uh, break. How about things like rotator cuff? That's something I've heard about that my whole life. People are always complaining about this part of their body. That's within this world of upper extremity. Am I correct? It is. And, and people are often complaining about either an injury or a tear. Tell us about the rotator cuff and what seems to happen with it. First of all, what is it? So the rotator cuff is part of the shoulder, <clears throat> and it is a series of four muscles that are deep within the shoulder that normally you can't feel or see from the outside. And their job is to stabilize the ball of the ball and socket joint of the shoulder and keep it located in its proper position while your arm goes through a range of motion. Now, as a function of aging, wear and tear, activity, and the environment, you can sustain injuries or degenerative problems that occur uh, to that part of the body. Frequently, the tendons, which are the parts of the body that connect the actual muscle fibers to the bones themselves, become torn or worn thin and irritated, and that is usually what's called rotator cuff pathology or problems. And those usually need to be treated with some kind of surgical intervention, or not, not always? Not always. So many rotator cuff problems can be treated conservatively with rest, activity modification, physical therapy, some anti-inflammatory medications, and occasionally corticosteroid injections or steroid injections in the area of the shoulder. 
How about another thing that I think of also that's I hear very commonly talked about as an injury, but also something that happens over time is carpal tunnel. People talk about that. Help us understand what that is, what part of the body it affects, and you know how, how does it occur? So carpal tunnel is a very common condition, and what it is is one of the nerves that controls the feeling in the tips of your thumb, your index finger, and your middle finger is compressed but it's compressed in the area between the wrist and the base of the hand. And it occurs as a function of many different things. Most commonly, it's just the way that people are designed. And over time, the space that this nerve lives in shrinks. And as it shrinks, it puts pressure on the nerve. And I compare it to having a shirt that's too tight around your neck. And you can imagine that with that sort of situation, you're... Uh, Gasping for air. <laughs> gasping for air. And that's when the nerve is gasping for air, it talks by tingling, burning, and feeling numb in those three fingers, the thumb, the index, and the middle finger. And generally, is the, the optimum treatment for something like carpal tunnel usually surgical? Many times with carpal tunnel, as it progresses to become a constant problem or a severe or moderately severe problem, surgery becomes one of the only ways to create more space for this nerve. The initial treatments, though, are non-operative and consist of bracing and activity modification that keep the wrist in a better position to prevent having as much pressure as there could be on the nerve. When some of these things I've mentioned already, do most of these occur in adults, or do you also see any of these things like we talked Well, fractures, of course, will affect children as well. But things like joint dislocations, rotator cuff or carpal tunnel, are, do those affect children? So, um, well, yes and no. As you said, fractures are things that very commonly occur in children. And the thing that is unique about children is because they are growing, there are parts of their bones that are not fully developed. And so many times when they suffer an injury, it's to an area of their bone called the growth plate, which is the part of the body that contributes length to the bones and is why people get taller and get longer hands and arms. And um, this is the weak spot in children. When you're an adult, that part of the body goes away or burns itself out, and that's when you stop growing. The other injuries that you mentioned, like carpal tunnel and rotator cuff problems, are things that are very uncommon in children. It's not never, but it's extremely rare to have disorders that are associated mostly with aging um, occurring in younger people. What are the consequences, though, for example, of the young child having sustaining something like a fracture or joint dislocation? I mean, are there long-term consequences after successful treatment? So frequently, no. And there are always instances where bad things happen and children end up with permanent deformities or limitations as a result of an injury. Some of these things cannot be avoided. Sometimes they can. As doctors, we try and shepherd the body through its healing process and line things up and realign the bones to enhance and optimize the outcome, but we can't control the innate healing of a person's body to any real degree, and so sometimes uh, bad things can occur. You know, one other thing that I hear about all the time is this thing called trigger 
finger. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's something you deal with all the time. Tell us what that is and what does it mean? So trigger finger is a very common condition. It obviously affects the fingers. And what happens is, is the tendons, which are the ropes that connect the forearm muscles to the fingertips and helps them bend as you bend your fingers down into a fist, they run through a series of little channels. And I liken it to a truck going through a tunnel. Your tendon is the truck and the tunnel is the channel that it runs through. And for reasons that are difficult to explain, the tunnel becomes thickened and then as the truck goes back and forth through it every time you open and close your hand eventually the roof of the truck starts to rub on the uh, on the tunnel itself and then it starts to catch and thicken and then it starts to cause a sensation of actually triggering your finger feels like it's sort of catching and then unlocking sort of like the trigger of a pistol and is that something that needs, again, surgical intervention, or can that be treated in a variety of ways? Most of the times, if trigger fingers are not painful or bothersome, people live with them. But when they become aggravating or limiting or painful to a degree that patients can't tolerate, we usually treat those with injections. And 70 to 80% of the time, a single injection will make the problem go away for a long time. And the injections would be something like a corticosteroid, which would allow the, the, the shrinkage or the the shrinkage of the problem or the expansion of the, That's the space? That's right. So or... the, the steroid medicines are anti-inflammatories and they shrink the swollen or irritated tissue uh, or in the case of the tunnel, it enlarges the tunnel slightly and allows the tendon to glide back and forth through it without catching. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with orthopedic surgeon Dr. Joshua Pletka. We're talking about conditions and injuries involving the upper extremities and what can be done about them. Just a couple more and then I want to ask you a little bit more about treatment. Um, what about when people have certain kinds of congenital problems? How frequently do you see that? And do you see that obviously would be in children? What are the kinds of things you see there? So uh, the most common congenital conditions, which are obviously conditions that children are born with, and so many times now with advanced imaging in the prenatal period before the birth of a child, these things can be identified. Um, but most commonly, it's an extra digit, an extra small finger, really? an extra thumb, or that the fingers... Um, the, the web space between the fingers never fully developed and the fingers are stuck together. It's called a syndactyly. Wow, and those obviously would require some surgical intervention. So those do require surgery, but usually it's not immediate and it's not done while the child is newly born or in the first six months. But after that, as they're a little bit bigger, they can be treated, but usually it is surgical treatment. So generally, and this was just a quick overview of the kinds of things you see, I mean, I'm sure there are so many, many, many more things that you, excuse me, address in your practice. Um, just generally, how do you go through a diagnostic process in general overview? So the first thing that we do with every patient that comes in is we get a history. So we take the information from the patient about the event, how long the condition has been present, whether it was traumatic or not traumatic, whether it came on suddenly or gradually, um, whether they remember it being associated with any particular event or process. And after that, we go through a physical exam where we actually examine, touch the patient, move the parts of the body, palpate, um, and look for swelling, redness, uh, crunching, or what's called crepitus. And after we've done that, we usually do supplemental imaging. And most commonly, the imaging test that we use is an x-ray. We usually don't need to get CT scans or MRIs or fancier things. An x-ray combined with the physical exam and the history usually suffices to make 95% of the diagnoses. 
Of the two others that you mentioned, like the CT and the MRI, when might you use them and how might they be more uh, helpful? Well, so those advanced imaging tests, like a CAT scan or a CT scan, is basically a very fancy x-ray. And what it does is it lets you appreciate the details of the bones much better. So situations where that can be helpful are, one, in the setting of a bad fracture that is near a joint, where it's critical to have an appreciation of the different broken pieces and not always able to be achieved through a plane, looking at a plain x-ray. Sometimes things are superimposed. So the CT scan lets you dive in a little bit deeper and get an appreciation of exactly what's going on. When, if ever, would you use an MRI or not? So we use MRIs when we're looking for soft tissue problems. The MRI is not usually a great test for evaluating the bones. A CAT scan is much better. But see, uh, an MRI is a helpful test when we're looking for things that we can't see on an x-ray, that we can't feel, but that we're suspicious are hiding underneath. And usually an MRI is not as much of a diagnostic test as it is a confirmatory test. We have a suspicion and we use the MRI to confirm it. So obviously the types of treatment that you uh, choose will vary with the particular problem, and we've just done a whole laundry list of the kinds of problems you see. But let me give you an example. So, for example, what do you, how do you determine the treatment options, let's say, for a fracture um, or a sprain or a strain? When would surgery be necessary versus splinting or casts? And then might, when might you do something like physical therapy? Well, so, depending on the severity of an injury, the fractures will dictate the treatment usually for us. And so, fractures that are well aligned, where the bones have not really shifted out of position, many times can be treated non-operatively. When the bones are out of alignment, meaning they're crooked, they're bent, they're not lined up right, um, sometimes, if we can't remedy that without surgery, then we have to go in and realign the bones surgically. Strains and sprains frequently are treated non-operatively. Situations where strains might be treated operatively are in situations like where you rupture a tendon or tear a tendon, like an Achilles tendon rupture, or a ligament injury in the knee, like an ACL tear. That's a sprain of a very high grade, and uh, frequently those require surgery as well. Physical therapy is an integral part of all of our treatments, and uh, it's usually done in conjunction with surgery, but many times it's done to prevent surgery. Now, I understand that you are opening a new clinic right now to actually address all of these kinds of issues and, and to improve accessibility to people because obviously some of these things are, you know, frank injuries due to trauma. They need immediate care. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so we have always been very big proponents of easy accessibility for patients and for their referring doctors. And so we started on February 1st with what's called a hand walk-in clinic. And it applies to all patients with injuries of the upper extremity, as we've discussed, from the fingertips to the shoulders. And it basically allows people who sustain an injury either late in the evening or early in the morning, who either go and see their doctor or don't even go and see their doctor, to walk right into our clinic in the afternoon between the hours of 3 and 4.30, and they can be seen without an appointment on an urgent basis. It's not meant for chronic conditions that have been present for months, but if you slip and fall and you think you might have injured something badly or you just are not sure, it's an easy way to get definitive answers about your problem and treatment for them. And how would one find out about that? So the best way to go about finding out about it is our website, and our website is www.upstateorthopedics.com. 
Very good. Thank you so much. My guest has been Dr. Joshua Pletka. He's Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Upstate Medical University and the Chief of Orthopedics at Upstate's Community Campus. He specializes in the hand and upper extremity injuries. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.